Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Let's Save Thousands. I'm your host, Ed Kalinka. And I'm Bev Kalinka. Good morning, everybody. We have a special guest for our listeners today. And who might that be, Bev? It is Matt Ziegert. He is Vice President of Sales and a loan officer at Family First Funding, located at 200 Spring Road, Suite 205 in Rockaway. Welcome, Matt. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bev. It's, Thank you, Ed. It's great to have you here, Matt. It's great to be here. I'm sure the question on all our listeners' minds when it comes to interest rates is, what the hell is going on? I say the same thing every morning. <laughs> right now, it's not just uh, what's going on in our country. It's what's going on overseas. It's, it's a very complex and delicate situation that's affecting all markets across the board. It's what's going on in Europe. It's what's going on in Asia. It's what's going on everywhere. So um, the main you know, factor that we're trying to control here is inflation, which we're coming out of COVID right now. Everyone's sitting at home, saving money, and now people have money to spend. And inflation is a real problem right now. So the Fed is aggressively trying to tackle inflation. And they've come out and said that they want a V-shaped recovery, not a W-shaped recovery. So when you, when you think of a V-shape, what do you think? Straight down and then straight back up. Right. But a lot of people are right now wondering what's happening to my pocketbook right now. We've seen a marked difference in prices at the grocery store. We saw home prices really skyrocket post-COVID. However, that was during a time in which interest rates were at 2.5%. Now, we're hedging close to 7 What you saw essentially was free money for a couple of years, and that has ended. Um, interest rates all depend on the borrower's specific situation, right? It's uh, it's always the best way I like to phrase it is it's it's like a fingerprint, right? So, you know, you and I have a different fingerprint, so we might have a different interest rate. But we have seen rates over the past six to nine months almost double, if not triple in some cases. So mortgage payments have consequently gone up by thousands of dollars a month. So what I'm seeing right now in the market is a little bit of a tug of war between buyer and seller because the seller still wants to get top dollar for their house, of course, but buyer's a little more hesitant. We're not seeing 30, 40 offers, highest and best right away. We're seeing our borrowers step back, really do their research, really do their homework, educate themselves before they make a decision because now, quite frankly, they have the time to make those decisions. The last couple of years, you know, like I said, free money. People are just all lining up at houses looking for a new place to live, and you didn't have that time to make that research. There's been a shift. Matt, um, New York Times had an interesting article about first-time homebuyers and how they're just about being locked out of the market today. What's your thoughts? I think that I have the ability to look at different markets and different pockets, right? The Northern New Jersey market is relatively a competitive market. However, there are a lot of creative loan products now that have opened up this market to give home buyers, first-time home buyers, the ability to compete, such as NJHFMA's $10,000 grant for eligible buyers. There's a USDA loan, which is no money down. There are some options like a renovation loan where you can find something that might be sitting on the market for a month or two that requires a little work. Those types of loan products are very popular with our first-time home buyers, and we are doing them. We are definitely doing them in New Jersey, 
Pennsylvania, the whole tri-state area. So there are options for them to open the door and compete. Before we started the show, we discussed uh, VA loans and FHA loans, and I'm assuming sellers are going to be a little bit more res receptive to accepting those type of offers as this market starts to really change. We are seeing an uptick in government loans being accepted, and I always thought that in any market, those those veterans should be oh, you know considered first, and I think all all of us agree on that here. Um, there is a misconception uh, quite often with government loans that they could be stricter or more stringent with their appraisal process. That's not usually the case. Nine point nine times out of ten, if you apply for a conventional loan and something gets flagged. It's going to get flagged on any mortgage, right? Like if there's peeling paint or missing handrail or any safety issues that could affect the borrower mm -hmm. or any issues that could affect the value of the house. So they're very almost identical loan products. And in most cases, an FHA loan for us as lenders is easier to do with than a conventional loan. Conventional loans can be a little more tight with their underwriting guidelines and a very touch and go. So we, we hope to see that those loan products get accepted a little more um, because it's definitely going to open up uh, and, and release that tug of war that we currently see with buyer and seller. Now, as we see the increase in interest rate, that's going to expand the amount of money that comes under that umbrella of pity, principal interest taxes and insurance. That will expand buyer's ratios. How does FHA help with that expansion of ratios? That's a great question because, you know, Fannie and Freddie, which is conventional financing, allow a certain threshold on your debt-to-income ratio. There's a significant... Um, a significantly larger amount that's allowed on an FHA loan. So there, there is much more wiggle room on what's called a debt-to-income ratio, which is what we use to qualify borrowers on an FHA loan compared to a conventional. So the FHA loan is then going to expand the buyer pool for all sellers. Yep. Mm -hmm. And we were seeing, even during COVID times, with a lot of people increasing their budgets just to try to compete a lot of those debt-to-income ratios were a little higher, believe it or not, even at a 2.5% interest rate. So you're going to see a lot of, let's say, for example, a 65 interest rate. That debt-to-income ratio is going to give us the room that we need to make a deal work, FHA, where it wouldn't have worked conventional. Well, that's good to know. Matt, uh, FHA loans, I'm assuming that the rate's a little bit lower and does... Does that offset that? Does that lower rate off, offset the MIP, the, the mortgage insurance? Great question, and I think that everything is a case by case scenario, right? But FHA rates are typically lower than conventional rates in in most cases, not all cases, but most cases. And the way that PMI or in FHA's world MIP, which is mortgage insurance, is calculated is just a flat rate. Whereas when you talk about conventional financing, PMI, which is private mortgage insurance, is calculated based off credit score. So if you're applying for a conventional loan and you don't have a paper perfect credit, your PMI might be more expensive on that loan as opposed to an FHA loan. So we like to look at everything as a blended payment, right? What is the total overall blended payment? And we do a side-by-side -side comparison with all of our borrowers, conventional versus FHA. And a lot of cases we find that the FHA loan options could be better. How do they calculate the flat fee on, on the mortgage insurance on an FHA? 
it's a simple 0.85% of your loan amount Got it. divided by the month. So it's a monthly rate of 0.85. Got it. Now, what's a downside? Matt, is there a downside to the mortgage insurance with FHA? Great question. Uh, long term, it's not a loan you want to stay in for 30 years. And I'll preface this by saying the average life of a loan in the United States is less than five years. So either a buyer will sell their house or refinance. But FHA's mortgage insurance never comes off, even when you reach 20%. That's a common misconception that if you reach 20%, then the mortgage insurance premium falls off. It doesn't. It stays on there for 30 years. So the sweet spot is once you get to that 20% equity in your house and you are in an FHA loan, at that point, you're going to want to look into refinancing to a conventional to get rid of the PMI. Given the rise in interest rates, have... uh adjustable rate mortgages made a comeback? That's a great question again. And we have seen arm rates or adjustable rates come back into the marketplace. They haven't flooded the marketplace yet, but they're definitely a topic of conversation with a lot of our conventional buyers. Those rates, those loans are not like they used to be before the crash, right? Those those arm loans were not really income driven. They were they were being lended out to people without even calculating a debt to income ratio. They're much safer now than what they used to be. So when you hear arm, don't think, oh man, arms are back, market's gonna crash. That's not what's happening here. But an arm rate typically can have an interest rate that's fixed for three, five, seven, or 10 years, and then it adjusts after that. So the sweet spot we're seeing right now is on a seven-year arm where it's fixed for seven years. Usually the interest rate could be anywhere from a quarter to three quarters of a point less than the 30-year fixed. So it's a great introductionary rate where you can stay fixed for seven years. Honestly, when was the last time we've seen rates stay high for seven straight years? There's always going to be an opportunity to refinance within that seven-year time frame, at least get into a 30-year fixed. We have some borrowers. I have past clients that come to me every seven years. They refinance to a seven-year arm because those loans still amortize over 30 years. So they could be 14 years in on their second seven-year arm, still paying lower interest rate than the 30-year fixed. All right. So for our listeners that may not know, if you were to take a seven-year arm, that means it's fixed for the first seven years. What happens at the anniversary date of that seventh year? Most arm rates are tied to the LIBOR, which is a it's a market, and um, they could adjust up or down, but there are caps at this point on those arms, so they can't adjust up or down by a certain percentage where there could be payment shock on those loans. Matt, what's going on with points right now? Right now, we're seeing a secondary market that's scared. Um, secondary market is the market that purchases mortgage-backed securities, and they don't know what's going up, what's going down. So for them, for an investor to buy a mortgage, typically they want that mortgage to be held for at least three to five years because then they recoup their investment and then they start making money on that investment. Now, there's a lot of speculation that within three to five years, rates will go back down. So essentially what mortgage lenders are doing is we're trying to sell a product that's hard to sell. That's hard. Not a lot of investors want to buy. 
as a consequence of that, we're seeing points on a lot of mortgages. And what points are usually in a normal market was to buy down the rate, right? So let's mm -hmm. say, for example, you had a 5% interest rate and you wanted to buy one point. That would usually bring you down to 4.75, maybe 4.5% on the mortgage. Right now, we're having to charge points just so they can get the 5% interest rate because the secondary market is not paying a premium on these loans. Oof. Now, you mentioned buying in a secondary market. This comes full circle to a conversation we had had previously before we came on the air. The relationship between what's happening in the stock market, how it affects the bond market, and then how that affects the interest rates. Can you uh, talk about that a little bit? A lot of this is really driven by the secondary market because if you look at the bond market today, it's in the high threes. So rates typically should only be in the fives mid fives but right now we're seeing rates creep into six seven percent that's because the secondary market doesn't want to buy these rates so typically we see we follow the 10-year treasury the 10-year treasury is easy to figure out what rates are going to be but they're even a point or a point and a half higher than where they should be based off the 10-year bond matt for our listeners a lot of people don't understand that there's a direct correlation between what's happening in the bond market and the mortgage rate now, when the stock market takes a hit, like it's taken in the past couple of weeks, in the past month it's been pretty rough, people look for a safe haven. That safe haven is the bond market. With supply and demand, as people, more people are looking to purchase those bonds, those rates go up. As those rates go up, the mortgages are based upon the bond market, therefore the mortgage rates go up. And like you said, when there's fear of people wanting to buy that in the secondary market, it goes up either further, and what happens is there becomes a, more of a constraint on buyers who are applying for those mortgages. That's where the FHA product is offering uh, some respite, if you will. Well, I have a quick question. Do you see the rates going down or leveling off, uh, either one of you, in the next, I don't know, short term, long term? What do you say? I think we're um, the higher we push on mortgage rates, the more of an affordability crisis we're going to see. Yeah. So I personally have been saying this for the past couple months, but I don't see rates going up much higher than where they are now. I do see the point issue when we were talking about paying discount points. I do see that leveling out and rates staying stagnant within the 5 to 6% range. However, we, we don't know. I mean, the more uncertainty that comes, the more rates. You saw COVID hit, right? We hit a pandemic and rates went down to nothing. So I think it all depends on what's going on in within our borders and outside our borders. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's happening in Europe most certainly is having a major impact on us, just as much as COVID had an impact on the supply chain, yeah. which has impacted everything. You know, so it's a period of uncertainty, really. Yeah. And with that, we're seeing not that many people selling homes. That's why we've got a tremendous shortage in inventory. We still have an overabundance of buyers who are still looking to buy in each price range. Yeah. Well, sellers and buyers are just not sure what's going on out there. Yeah. You know, so they're tentative. Um, for a wrap up here, Matt, um, if you were a home buyer, uh, what is the best tip you can offer? I think that now this isn't a magic wand here. I have a couple tips that I think would help. Um, number one, when you're getting into a negotiation on a property, it's important to know 
what your cash position is on that property and what your monthly payment's going to be. So I think being as hands-on with your lender and realtor as possible, making sure you're doing as much research as possible. But I will give you one little tidbit. For every $1,000 you finance, that's about $6 a month on a mortgage payment. So the question I ask, and this is the question I asked myself when I was negotiating the house that I bought. If I see this go property, if I see this property go for $10,000 more than what I'm willing to pay, which is $60 a month, really? am I going to lose sleep on that? Yes or no? And only the home buyer can answer that question. But for me, I don't want to lose the house that I love for $60 a month. I, that's within my budget. I want to make sure that I get that house. But a little tidbit. Again, I'll repeat, for every $1,000, it's about $6 a month on your mortgage payment, a.k.a. $10,000 is $60 a month on a mortgage payment. So with that in mind, let's turn the lens the other way and look for tips for a seller. When you mentioned points, points being uh, something which would assist the buyer in getting a lower rate, what about that old practice that we had in the 90s where the sellers would be offering to pay one or two points in order to generate higher offers on their properties? Or X amount of dollars in closing costs for the buyer. Yeah, I mean, you could do that as a seller's concession now, which will cover closing costs in general. But I think right now we're in a place where buyer and seller need to work together a little bit better to make these deals work. And that requires cooperation. The, and the seller needs to understand, and I think some sellers do to a certain degree understand that there is a lot of payment shock going on right now. And uh, a seller could be it could be a death, a kiss of death, if they market their property, it goes under contract, the buyer gets payment shock, they kill the deal in attorney review. How does that look when they relist their property? Right? There could be a blemish on their property that oh something is wrong. So I think a negotiation. Open negotiation, cooperation, and you know, paying these discount points. I mean, we're still seeing values higher than what a lot of people ever thought they would get for their house. Yeah. So to pay three, five, six grand in discount points to make a deal work, I think it's worth it. Yeah, I agree. Well, and, and sellers, they have to be a little more negotiable. Home inspections, things like that. We've talked about that in previous previous uh, podcasts. You know. In discussing this with some sellers and, and also with, with, with buyers, you know, there's that uh, metaphor, if you will, about a plane stalling. When you take off in an airplane and you start ascending and ascending and ascending, at a point in time, you're going to stop ascending. And even though it looks like you're continuing to go up, you're actually falling down. And in this now f effective free fall era, uh, that we're experiencing right now. People are still thinking we're in that appreciating market. Well, we're still in an appreciating market, but it's not going to be appreciating at the astounding rate that it has been in the past 12 months. Right. Matt, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you and educate our audience. And I mean, this is, been a, this is a great learning experience to understand how this stuff works. We appreciate the, the time you took out of your busy day to come and sit with us and and uh, talk about some of these important things in the market today. And it's right in alignment with helping our buyers and savers save thousands. That's right. That's right. My pleasure. It was an absolute joy to be on the show, and I love talking about mortgages, so I could do it all day long. <laughs> and, Matt, how would they get a hold of you? 
If you just Google my name, I think you could find everything you need on online. All my social media pages are online. My cell phone number is online. My name is Matthew with two T's, Ziegert, Z-I-E-G-E-R-T. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Matt. Thanks thank again. you, guys. Bev, can you introduce our next guest to our listeners? Gladly. We have Pamela Lee with us. She's an account executive for Agility Title located in Marstown, New Jersey. Pam, it is great to have you here. Thanks for having me, guys. Pam, what is title insurance? Title insurance is the type of insurance that you get when you are purchasing a property. The buyer pays for it. And so as opposed to other insurances like home and auto, which protect possible events from moving forward. Title insurance covers anything that may have happened from the time that you purchased the home and before. So if there's any liens on the property that may not have been recorded and it shows up and someone wants their money, that is when title insurance kicks in. So if I purchased a property and I had title insurance and I found out somehow uh, that 10 years ago there was a loan on the property or a lien on the property, I should say, and it never came up, and all of a sudden it surfaced 10 years after, but I had title insurance. Exactly. That's what, that's what you're protecting. Exactly. The okay. You would just show that you bought the house with clean, marketable title, and that would not be against you. Okay. In the same regard, if somebody comes knocking on your door you know, two months after you bought the house, and they say, look, I'm the long-lost nephew of mm-hmm. uh, Uncle yeah. Stosh, Ooh, you right. know, that uh, I was supposed to be in his will, and uh, I want to go to my room now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what it would protect against as well. Fraud. Right. Super. So it it protects a number of different maladies as well. Mm. Yes. Pam, how does that relate to construction liens? Yeah. So let's say the seller was having work done on the property, never paid the contractor, and you go to sell the you buy the property and the contractor then comes back and says I have a lien on I'm going to place a lien on the property uh, for the work that I did and the seller's never paid that would also be protected because those kind of liens are run with the land. Pam, who does title insurance protect? I believe I mentioned earlier that it protects the buyer, but it actually protects the lenders as well. So there's two types of policies, okay. the, buy- the owner's policy and the lender's policy. And so so based on how much is being covered by a mortgage and the money um, that you're putting down is the ratio that the lender's and owner's title policy would be. Um, so a big portion of the title insurance is for the lender's policy that, that is always required by the mortgage company. And it does say optional on the closing disclosure for the owner's policy. And all attorneys will tell, any good attorney will tell you to get the owner's policy because it's typically only a couple hundred dollars as opposed to a couple thousand that the lender's policy is. And you're protecting your interest in the property, the money that you've put down, the money that you've saved to put down on this house when you're purchasing the home. So it protects the lender and the buyer, so, the homeowner. So when the buyer goes to purchase, they order title insurance. Mm-hmm. The title insurance is reviewed by the lender to make sure that, I guess, they're one of the payees or they're part and parcel of being on that title. Is that correct? Like also insured. Yeah. Right, right, because they have to protect their money. So right. when you go to refinance a property, you'll have to get the lender's policy again. Mm-hmm. And so don't be confused if they do ask you for owner's policy again. You don't need it again. Only the lender's policy Okay. on a refinance. Okay, good to know. 
Can you shop rates for title insurance? This is a question that I get often. And honestly, I do like to run quotes anyway, just so that I could build rapport with whoever is purchasing the home. They want to feel comfortable with who they're sending all this money to. But premiums themselves are regulated by the state. So there's no shopping the premiums, but there are some fees here and there that do add up that we like to compete with for rather. Okay. So if there's no difference in the cost of the policy because they're regulated by state, then this is really a matter of who's providing the best service. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So being that the title company is responsible for the closings most of the time, I mean, there are still attorneys that are still doing their own settlement, but most of the time it's the title company who does the settlement, which is the processing with the attorney, the lender, and the buyer as far as all the money. Working with the right person and the right team who had the right processes in place is important because it really reflects on the realtors and the attorney and the lender when it's a good, smooth closing process. And that's so, what we provide. Definitely. So the title company effectively becomes the quarterback Ex- yeah. calling the yep. plays. Yep. Yeah. So we make sure that the money gets from the buyer to the closer to our office and we disperse money to everyone. We are responsible to pay off any mortgages, to pay the realtors, to pay taxes so that we don't start off the tax lien to begin with. The attorneys. Yeah, and the attorneys Mm -hmm. and everyone involved. All right, Pam, thank you so much for joining us. How can people reach you? Um, So my Instagram handle is Pam, the title agent just like that <laughs> and uh, my you can reach me on my email pam at agilitytitle.com and that's it sounds good all right thank pam, you so thanks much so much it's great hey we want to thank our guests today matt zieger with family funding and we want to thank uh pam lee from agility title ed what are some of the takeaways from today's information well i thought matt made uh, some excellent points relating to how the bond market is related to the mortgage interest rate mm-hmm. uh, in addition to how this isn't simply a linear problem that's happening here in the united states but it's actually a global issue in an attempt to combat inflation it was also important that he mentioned that there are some programs that help soften the blow right you know, that give options, you know, such as the adjustable rate mortgages and FHA programs. Right. In addition to that, Pam made some excellent points about title insurance and how it really protects buyers from unforeseen sins of previous owners. Really? That was interesting. Yeah. So all in all, I hope our clients had a uh, enjoyable time listening to our show as we did producing it. And remember, we are on Spotify. Let's save thousands. The purpose of Let's Save Thousand is to educate, entertain, and to empower our listeners. We trust that today's episode did just that. If you have any questions to ask us or a desire for us to address a specific topic, please email us at letsavethousands at gmail.com. Remember, you can find us here at WMTR AM Saturdays at 11 a.m. and also on Spotify. Hi, this is Ed Kalinka with the Kalinka team here at Keller Williams Metropolitan. And I'm Bev Kalinka. Ed, why have people chosen to work with us? They work with us because they trust us Mm -hmm. and they understand that we have a great deal of experience. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be brutally honest with them. Mm -hmm. We have worked with a wide range of people in uh, in the world. Give us an example or describe to us some of the people that we have worked with. Well, we have a great many reviews on Zillow. 
mm-hmm. that people can find. We also have had the blessing to work with people who have won Grammys, who've been in major movies, who have been working for television studios, who have been mayors of their communities, attorneys, doctors, lawyers, and um, also so many people who have trusted us to help them navigate out of tough times. Right. You know, and so those recommendations, those reviews, I think say so much more than we could possibly say. You know, but if somebody is interested in buying or selling a house, uh, we would think that they should give us a call just to benefit from our experience for a free consultation. I agree. And how can they reach us? They can call us at 973-670-8338 or just reach out to Team at gmail.com. And we're hosts of Let's Save Thousands because that's our mission to help you save thousands. Um, accolades that we receive is when past clients buy homes with us, you know, uh, repeatedly or buy investment homes, or we've got people who, uh, we, we just had a major attorney, you know, recommend his mom, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, or we have clients that recommend their children right. or their parents. Right. Uh, that means a lot. It does. It does. Yeah. And so if somebody is looking to buy or sell, um, that experience that we have is pretty well unmatched by others because, you know, we've built these houses from the ground up. We understand the components. We understand the systems. We understand municipal land use from your experience working in a local building department and planning board. Stop. I fucking hate when you say that. Can you not say that? Are we going to put that on the air? Yeah. You better stop it. I just, all you have to do is say your experience 